Pastor Kyle would be the first to tell you that he's not a big fan of public speaking. We have had, what, three different attempts over the years at having you come and preach on a Sunday morning, and they've all gotten thwarted for one reason or another. Mission trips, lazy stuff, lazy mission trips. I'm just kidding. Uh, and so I'm really grateful. Uh, I feel uh, kind of like a, like a proud big brother sort of moment here of just being able to, to have him get to do this. So uh, one thing you should know, number one, uh, this upcoming week is Veterans Day. We didn't plan it this way, but I thought it's fitting. The only veteran that we have on our leadership team is, uh, is going to come up and preach on Veterans Day. So that's good. And then uh, he's been serving in student ministry for years now. Uh, kind of handed off that role to Pastor Jason. So if he pulls out a t-shirt cannon at any point during the teaching, it's just impulse. He can't control himself. So you'll have to forgive him. He's also used to like calling on people. He'll be like, your your name in the middle of things. So just any of you introverts, I'm sorry. I'm really nice to introverts. He's not. So uh, with that said, I'm going to invite Alex and Vivi to come up. They're going to be reading our scripture for us. And Pastor Kyle, you can come as well. You know, as we're going through the book of Acts together as a church, one of the things that the book of Acts reminds us is that the gospel is for all nations, for all people. So we've been having our scripture reading uh, bilingual each week. And so today, uh, Miss Vivi is going to be reading in Spanish, and Alex is going to read in English. But Vivi said you're going to just take over and preach too. But I, don't, I think Kyle will fight you for that. because After Kyle? Okay, sounds good. All right. Uh, go ahead, guys. All right. Good morning. Today's scripture is Acts 9, 1 through 8. Buenos días, iglesia. Dice, mm, Hechos, capítulo 9, verso del 1 al 4. Dice, Saulo estaba furioso y amenazaba con matar a todos los seguidores del Señor Jesús. Por eso fue a pedirle al jefe de los sacerdotes una carta con un permiso especial. Quería ir a la ciudad de Damasco y sacar a las sinagogas, de las sinagogas a todos los que siguieran las enseñanzas de Jesús para llevar los presos a la cárcel de Jerusalén. Ya estaba Saulo por llegar a Damasco cuando de pronto desde el cielo rodeó una, un gran resplandor como de un rayo. Saulo cayó al suelo y una voz le dijo, Saulo, Saulo, ¿por qué me persigues? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Thank you, guys. I love that, hearing the passage in another language. Well, good morning. I'm Kyle, as Pastor Aaron said. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. Even if I don't seem excited, I really am. I'm trying to show it. Uh, No, I really am. I'm very grateful for all the prayers of many of you and all the encouraging texts, so thank you for that. Today we're going to be looking at one of my personal favorite passages in the New Testament, the dramatic and powerful conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Some would say that Saul's conversion is comparable to a terrorist or an ISIS leader meeting Jesus today. By the way, Saul is also known as Paul, or the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, Um, but at this point in the passage, he's referred to as Saul. So my goal is to refer to him as Saul. If I slip up and refer to him as Paul, please have a little bit of grace, but I think I'll be able to, to stick to Saul. 
But a lot of people think that Saul's conversion is the turning point where he is uh, referred to as Paul, but that actually doesn't take place till later in Acts, around Acts chapter 13. So somebody else will talk about that at another point. Today's focus, though, is on his conversion. It's on the power of a true conversion. But before we go any further, I'd like to pray. Jesus, we give this time to you. Lord, we invite you into our hearts, into this place. We worship you, Lord, and I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for the salvation of my brothers and sisters here who know you in a saving way. And God, for anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, anyone who's far from you, or who feels like they maybe uh, aren't good enough, God, would you minister to them this morning? Would your spirit uh, empower me to speak the truth of your word? Be with us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought it might be a little bit helpful to share some of my story, especially how it connects to our passage. I grew up in a very religious uh, home and church. I would kind of describe it as maybe leaning towards legalism, legalistic. There was a lot of rules, a lot of things that we had to do right, and we talked about that a lot. And I didn't hear a lot about God's grace growing up. Maybe I did, I just don't remember that. That wasn't what was impactful to me. I understood that God was holy. He was way up here, and I was way down here. I was a sinner, and I needed to work really hard to get up to his status or to that status. I struggled personally to believe that I could be good enough. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I worked, I could never match up to God's standard. I had a very workspace understanding of salvation, and I tried hard to earn God's favor. And frankly, it was exhausting. I was tired, and eventually that led to me leaving the church and ultimately turning my back on the Lord. I joined, uh, shortly after high school, I joined the military. as pastor and said I'm a veteran. I joined the Air Force, and I was a firefighter in the Air Force and EMT. Did that for about 10 years. Also, forgive me, uh, my wife Brittany knows that I am going to use a lot of examples from the military. Forgive me for that, but it's just such an impactful part of my life. Uh, but shortly after joining the military, my wife Brittany and I got married. Um, we started having kids. I deployed overseas multiple times. Um, two of those tours were in combat. I was exposed to continuous trauma. I was exposed to death and war and, frankly, some of the darkest evil that the world has to offer. I worked hard. Uh, I was fairly good at my job, and I ranked up fast, and, um, and I loved my job. Frankly, if it wasn't for the Lord changing my life and saving me, I would still probably be firefighting. But I worked hard, and things were great, at least from the outside looking in. It seemed like things were great. The problem was, inside, I was struggling. We had, um, I I had experienced an emptiness, a darkness inside that, that I couldn't really explain. I didn't understand. And I remember one night, the night that I was born again, like it was yesterday. It wasn't yesterday, I promise. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Brittany and I were having a deep conversation about life, about where we had been, all that we had experienced, the, the loss that we'd experienced. We had spent many nights in the hospital. Our daughter had pretty poor health early on, and um, I had lost a lot of friends to suicide and other things from the war. Um, and we were just discussing the, the heaviness, the weight of all that we had experienced. 
And I remember her saying something to me that it was very profound, very drastic in my life. It, it really confused me. She basically said she didn't care if she lived anymore at that point. And she was the mother of my children, my best friend since high school. We met our freshman year of high school. It was devastating. Shortly after that conversation, um, I ended up in our room, very confused, and it was late at night, and I remember, um, I, I don't really know how to explain it other than to say that God was moving powerfully. I ended up on my knees, and I ended up praying out, crying out to God like I had never done before, and I began to feel the weight of my sin. God spoke to me, and many of you may think, what do you mean God spoke to you? And all I can say is that I heard God speak to me. And it was more clear than a conversation you or I could have over coffee. God was speaking to my heart. He was speaking to me in a profound and impactful way. I ended up on my knees crying, praying. Like I just, I can be a bit of an emotional person. Uh, The elders know that. My wife knows that. But but I was very emotional and very uh, moved by the power of God in that moment. I was feeling the weight of my sin, but at the very same moment, I began to understand grace, the thing that I never really knew or heard about prior to that. I began to experience love and forgiveness and grace, and that was more impactful than the sin that I had experienced or the, the weight of the sin that I was feeling. It was this weird experience, feeling the weight of the sin. God was revealing that to me, but also understanding that I was forgiven in Christ, that he loved me. Shortly after that, the Lord showed me a vision. Similar, you know, differently than the story to the passage today, but the Lord showed me a a powerful vision that had drastic uh, implications. It led to Brittany um, coming to the Lord, being born again six days later, and many other things. And I wish I had more time to explain that specific vision, but that's not why we're here today. The point, though, is there was a radical change, a radical transformation took place I'm not trying to compare myself to the Apostle Paul, to Saul, from this passage. But in a similar way, there is a connection to our passage, to Saul's miraculous conversion. We're going to see how Saul goes from being the persecutor to a drastic change to being the persecuted. Saul's conversion is arguably one of the most significant conversions in the history of the church and even the history of the world. It would be difficult for me to try to overstate the significance of Saul's conversion, the significance that it had. Charles Spurgeon said, The conversion of Saul of Tarsus was one of the most remarkable facts in Christian history. Perhaps there's never happened an event of equal importance since the days of Pentecost. It was important as a testimony to the power and truth of the gospel. Our big idea for this morning is that encountering Jesus leads to true conversion. I thought it might be helpful to explain or get us to think a little bit about conversion. I won't call anybody, don't worry. I asked Aaron to say that. That is how I would teach in students, but I won't do that today to you guys. Just do it, yeah. (laughs) I thought you were the nice one to the introverts. Um, But I want to help us think about conversion for a minute defining it, what it is not and what it is. Conversion is not trying harder. Conversion is not working harder to be a better person. Because see, we can't change ourselves. It's only by the power of God that we can be truly changed. Conversion is a life transformation. Ephesians talks about it. Pastor Aaron mentioned it earlier. Ephesians talks about 
conversion or in a biblical sense, this transformation that takes place is going from death to life. That's a drastic change. As a firefighter and an EMT, uh, I responded to lots of medical calls, lots of people in need, and I had to perform CPR more times than I would have liked. One time would be more than I would have liked. But there's this moment where you arrive on scene and there's a body laying there lifeless, not breathing. And we're trained to respond, to rescue them. But the interesting thing is that body, that lifeless person is not asking for help. They're not crying out for us to rescue them. If we think about that as Christians, as humans, we are dead. As the scriptures say, we are dead in our sin. We're not crying out to God for help. I mean, at some point we do, but that's only after God initiates. He shows our sin to us. He reveals our sin to us. And then we respond to his grace and his love. That's conversion, going from death to life. We're also going to see in our passage that conversion tends to follow a bit of a pattern. We all start out as enemies of Jesus. We then encounter, we have an encounter with Jesus. We encounter the people of Jesus. We're then changed by Jesus. And ultimately, we're then sent out by Jesus. So with that, let's dive into our passage, starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let's see what the Lord wants to reveal to us. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is the first time in Acts that followers of Jesus are described as, we're not even described yet as Christians at this point, they're described as belonging to the way. The Greek word here is hadas which means a road or a highway. And I love that because it helps us understand that, again, following Jesus is not trying harder. It's not being a better person. That is a result of what what happens when the Holy Spirit transforms us. But it helps us understand that following Jesus is a way of life. Verse 3, As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The first point I want to make this morning is that we all start out as enemies of Jesus. Saul is an enemy of Jesus. Jesus says himself, why are you persecuting me? See, Saul thought of himself as a godly man. He was actually very religious. He was a student of the scriptures, yet he was blind. This is scary. He was blind to his own sin, anger, and even the darkness in his heart. The default posture of humanity is rebellion against God, enemy of God. Now, some of you may be thinking, I'm a good person. I try hard. I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than my coworker. Me and God have it all worked out. And I'm here to say that the scriptures tell us if we have not encountered Jesus and been transformed by the Holy Spirit, then our status is still enemy. Relating to this idea of being an enemy, enemies don't want to be around each other. Think of a child being bullied on the back of a school bus, and every day the the child has to get back on the school bus. That's that's an enemy for a child, right? That, That child doesn't look forward to being around that person who's a bully to them. I mentioned I was deployed to combat. Um... 
there was, as a firefighter, we worked 24 on, 24 off, except on our 24, day, 24 hours off, our day off, we didn't get the day off. We were voluntold by the base commander that we had to go work somewhere. And so I had the option of working uh, laying concrete, which I was not going to do, or working at the hospital. So that sounded better. Uh, but there was a tent set up. Well, the whole hospital was a tent at the time. And there was a, a tent set up at the back of the hospital that I was uh, directed to, to go help provide medical care. And little did I know until I arrived at this tent that it was full of beds with terrorists chained handcuffed to the beds. And they were heavily guarded, and we were supposed to go in and provide medical care. Uh, that would, did not feel good. These were the same men. We were attacked every night. And these were the same men who had tried to attack us, tried to kill us, maybe the night before. These were my enemies, and I did not like to be close to them. To go from being that, an enemy, to a friend would take something pretty drastic. Do you agree? It's going to take something big, something drastic like an encounter, a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Saul was an enemy of Jesus until he encountered him. Picking back up in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Often we we pass over this part of the passage, and I am so curious as to what happened to these men that were traveling with Saul, because there's no way that they experienced this and weren't changed. I don't have scriptural evidence for this, but I believe we're going to see some of those guys in heaven. I remember when the Lord first changed me, the people around me that witnessed this transformation taking place were in shock. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what was happening. The Lord uses our transformation to impact those around us. Continuing in verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. The second point I want to make is that Saul had a powerful encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, an encounter that he wasn't expecting and one that changed his life forever. At this point, he doesn't understand everything. Uh, He doesn't know what all is taking place, but he knows something has happened. Something big has happened, something drastic. It was big enough to make him go from friend, uh, to make him a friend to his enemy. I want to ask you a question. Just kind of think with me. Do you, like, do you know people? Like, do you really know how people work? Uh, I know for myself, it's hard for me sometimes to, to see things another way, to hear things and understand how somebody else is thinking about it. It's hard for us sometimes to change our minds. Sometimes we can be hard-headed. We can be stubborn. But when Jesus shows up, people change. Something happens makes me think, another example from the military, it makes me think of my time in boot camp. Uh, if any of you have been around veterans or, you know, got to go to see uh, graduation at military boot camp, there's this squadron that will march 
It's awesome to see. If you haven't seen it, it's so cool. The whole squadron will be marching in one direction. And there's a squadron commander who will call out specific commands. One of those commands is an about face. And the, the entire squadron will be heading in one direction. And on a dime, they turn at the, at the command of the squadron commander. And they're going in the complete opposite direction. It, it's seamless. It's, it's amazing to see. That's what happens to Saul when he encounters Jesus. That's what happens to us when we encounter Jesus. We're headed in one direction in life. We think we have everything figured out. And then Jesus says, nope, you're going this way now. We change the, Jesus changes the course of our life. I want to pause here for just a moment. As we think about encountering Jesus, there's a spectrum. All right, so on one side of the spectrum, you're going to have somebody with a story, a testimony that I'll, I'll refer to it as kind of quiet or more boring. Um, not in a bad way, but just they... In fact, I'm envious of people with this story. They have grown up in church. They've known Jesus their whole life. Faithful saint. And they feel like, I don't really have a story. It's, it's boring. And on the other side, you have somebody who maybe is a Muslim. Maybe they live in some small remote village and they've never heard of Jesus. And in the middle of the night, Jesus appears to them. And they come to know Jesus through faith. They believe in Jesus. That's the spectrum. And I think for us, in our culture, at least in our church, in our society, it's easy for us to believe somebody who has a more boring story. We don't question that. But when we hear about this big, powerful, dramatic conversion, we start to question, is that real? Could that happen? Does that happen? Yes, it does. And what I want to say to those of you who maybe don't have such a radical story, praise God for that, first of all. But let me say this. Every conversion, no matter how dramatic it may seem, is miraculous. Every conversion is a miracle. Picking back up in verse 10. There was was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, I love Ananias. The Lord is speaking to Ananias through a vision. We know that God primarily speaks through his word. We don't question that. As a Bible church, we know that. We believe that. But I think, if I could be as bold to say, in our particular Christian camp, that sometimes we forget that God, the creator of the universe, can speak however he wants. Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. I love that. That immediate response, acknowledging the Lord. Lord, help us to acknowledge you that quickly. Verse 11, get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, again, the Lord is speaking in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, this terrorist, How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, so Ananias is terrified. Ananias is worried about going and doing, you know, being obedient and doing what the Lord has called him to do. But the Lord said, go for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went. He goes anyway. He trusts the Lord and he responds. 
He goes and enters the house. He placed his hands on him, on Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I mean, that's, I love the genuineness there. Like, I think about that all the time. When I'm getting weak, I need to go eat some tacos and I'll feel much better. I love the, the genuineness of scripture. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. The third point, which I think, I hope, will be our community group director, uh, Myung's favorite point here, is that when we encounter uh, Jesus, we also encounter the people of Jesus. Like Saul, when we encounter Jesus, we have this encounter with the people of God. It's a package deal. We don't get to just encounter Jesus and then not be, uh, have, be impacted by the people of God. In Saul's conversion, we see God using several people. He uses the high priests. He uses the men traveling with him. And he uses Ananias in a huge way. The conversion of souls is often a community event. When Brittany and I were first born again, we found out that we had had people praying and fasting for us. How cool is that? We had no idea. These people, even if I would have known that, I wouldn't have cared. But we had people praying and fasting for us. Their prayers were answered. They got to see God move powerfully in our lives. That encouraged their faith, and it definitely encouraged us. Uh, the people around us, I had mentioned just coworkers and friends that were around us, saw this transformation taking place. They didn't understand it, but they wanted to know about it, and we got to share with them. I remember our real estate agent, uh, shortly after our transformation, after the Lord uh, saved us, we put our house up for sale. I quit my career as a firefighter because I believed God was calling me into ministry. And our real estate agent heard our testimony and came to saving faith in Jesus through that. The Lord uses our story, our testimony. He uses his people. Uh, by using his people, it's, it's a gift. In fact, it's a miracle. Because we can't truly and wholly be transformed as Christians without encountering the people of Jesus. Verse 20. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Again, I love that. Immediately. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here, came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Our fourth point here is pretty obvious, but it's worth stating anyway. When we encounter Jesus, we are changed by him. We see that Saul has changed in many ways. Saul immediately began proclaiming Jesus, and his acknowledgement of Christ as Messiah demonstrate a dra demonstrates a drastic change in his belief system. We also see that it says he grew stronger. And this isn't talking about his workout routine, his CrossFit routine, getting lean, getting fit. It's talking about, it's referring to him growing in spiritual power. This is discipleship, church. Learning, growing, being strengthened in the ways of God and the things of God. We also see that uh, Saul's relational status changed. He goes from enemy to friend. 
Many of you remember what life was like before Jesus, and you don't want to go back there. I know I certainly don't. For some of you, you don't remember life before Jesus. That's your your whole life. Again, praise God for that. But there's one thing that we all have in common. We have all been and continue to be changed by Jesus. Again, no matter how big or dramatic your story, your conversion is, being changed by Jesus is nothing short of miraculous. Finishing finishing up our passage in verse 23, after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through through an opening in the wall. I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. Saul, the, the terrorist being lowered down by the disciples. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. They probably thought he was some covert spy trying to get in, infiltrate the, the system or something. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Our fifth point this morning, and our final point, is that Saul is sent out to tell the world about Jesus. The Jewish leaders were out to get him. They wanted him dead. Think about that for a second. Saul, the persecutor, now being protected by the same men he was out to get just a few verses ago. He was now escaping being murdered himself. And he's sent out to take the good news, the gospel. It says that he spoke boldly about Jesus. Just as Saul is sent out to to share, to proclaim the gospel, we too are sent out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I used to pray for opportunity to share my faith. I still pray for opportunity to share my faith. But a few years back, the Lord convicted me that I can't just pray for opportunity because I could manufacture an opportunity. It's hard to know if I'm creating this you know, fabricating this, or if it's the Lord really opening an opportunity. And either way, it's honoring to the Lord. But the Lord convicted me that I need to also pray for conversion, for the power of God to work in people's lives. Because I can't save somebody. God alone owns salvation. So I pray for opportunity to to witness, to share, and I pray for the power of God to move in people's lives. Our going is likely going to look different than it did for Saul. But like, the whole, like Saul, the Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower each of us in unique ways to go. Well, at this point in Acts, we're turning a corner. Saul's conversion is a bit of a, a turning point for us. If you remember back in Acts 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. At this point in Acts, we're wrapping up the Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the local, 
part of taking the message of the gospel out. And we're moving to being witnesses to the ends of the earth. The church is a part of that. But this is a turning point in Acts where the gospel begins to go out. We are sent by Jesus to be witnesses to the world. But before we can take this message, the gospel message out with boldness and to be motivated to go out to share, we have to understand why such a message would be taken out to the whole world to begin with. It's not just any message. The gospel is the greatest, most powerful life-transformative message to ever be told. The gospel is a miracle that transforms lives. And when we understand that we are sinners, we have rebelled against God, our creator, and we deserve eternal punishment, eternal separation from a holy God, but that he made a way for us in Christ to be saved, to be forgiven. Well, that changes everything. The message can't not go out. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death that he didn't deserve, and then rose from the dead to live and reign forevermore, making peace, making a way for humans, for us to have a relationship with God, if they would simply acknowledge that truth and place their faith in him. When a, person's, when a person has changed the way the power of the gospel changes us, the message can't not spread. There is no option but to tell others of God's goodness and grace in Christ. Amen? I want to wrap up our time this morning with a few things for us to consider. Have you met Jesus? Have you truly been transformed and changed by Jesus? If you haven't, then I plead with you to open your heart and open your mind to the wonders of God's awe-inspiring, unconditional love, to his abundant grace and powerful life-changing forgiveness. Receive his grace today and trust in him for eternal life. For those of you maybe with a little less dramatic story like we've been talking about, maybe you've had doubts about your salvation. Maybe you've wondered, how can I know that I'm truly converted, that I'm truly saved? Ephesians 5, 8 through 9 says that we were once darkness, but we are now light in the Lord, that the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. A converted Christian lives in the light. We're marked by humility, truthfulness, and repentance. We will live our lives differently. People will notice. We will be different, changed, transformed. I'm not saying perfect. I'm saying different. For those confident of their status in Christ, praise God. If you have the confidence that you know you're saved, you know where you're going, you know who your Savior is, praise God. But if you're a follower of Jesus... You should be constantly being changed, growing, being strengthened. Discipleship, like we talked about. We're disciples of Jesus. Students of the way. Remember our word, hadas, on the way. We haven't arrived yet. There's still work to be done. This is the Christian life. To continually be being shaped by the Lord. The only way we grow is by the power of God. And by being open to the fact that we're blind to our own sin. God uses his spirit and his spirit-empowered people to, uh, to help us see that. And finally, how is Jesus calling you to go out and be witnesses for the gospel? How is he calling you to be on mission? There's lots of ways that this can look. It's going to look different for many of us, for most of us. 
And as a pastor, it'd be my great joy to meet with you, to talk with you, to pray and encourage you and help find ways for God where God wants to use you, right where you're at, right where you live in your neighborhood, in your workplace. If you've been around Sun City for any length of time, you may have heard me say that we're not all called to cross international borders. Some of us will. Some of us are. But not everyone is. But we are all called to cross the street. Where is God calling you to go? For all of us this morning, there's one thing we must know. One thing we need to understand. God alone can do a miracle in our lives. He is powerful enough. He can do it. Who have you been praying for? And maybe you got tired. Maybe you're, you're weary of this person's sin and the way they're living their lives. And you continue to see this pattern and you're just kind of done. Who is that in your life? Saul was a terrorist. If anyone was too far gone, it was Saul. Yet he wasn't. God saved him. God did a miracle in his life. He transformed him. And so my encouragement to each of us this morning is to continue to pray boldly and confidently, knowing that Jesus can and does save. Let's pray expectantly for the power of God to do a miracle because God alone can save a soul. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for how you've used it in my life personally. Uh, and in so, many others li- in so many other lives, Lord, thank you for Saul's conversion, that we get to see the power of God, that we get to see that every conversion is a miracle. Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we thank you for uh, the fact that we are not in charge of salvation. You call us to be obedient, to go, to take the, the good news to the world. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in our part. And Lord, we pray hopeful, we pray boldly and expectantly that you will take uh, that you will take our small efforts and that you will do a miracle and that you will save souls that you bring salvation to the world we pray all this in Jesus good name amen